electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Remembering investing legend Charlie Munger, who died this week, age 99. Charlie was still very actively engaged mentally, thinking about business deals, thinking about the potential for things they could do. I think making trades, thinking about what he was planning on doing, very actively involved, and I think that's a lesson for all of us. What made his mind so singular? And what makes other beautiful minds? A conversation with Academy Award-winning producer Brian Grazer on leading projects and life with curiosity. It's not always with the designed intention of making a movie or telling a story, but it's of the designed intention of expanding my life and expanding my emotional and uh, real life, in fact. Plus, the other headlines that got us squawking today, like decoding the Federal Reserve. What's Disney really selling? And major changes afoot for billionaire Mark Cuban. Is it like a midlife crisis or something? I don't know. It's Wednesday, November 29th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one. Cue please. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan. First up today on the podcast, Fed Speak, reading the tea leaves of the public comments and speeches of Federal Reserve officials and regional bank heads. Yesterday, two Fed governors pointed to the possibility that the central bank is done with rate hikes and will be able to ease policy next year. Fed Governor Christopher Waller said he's increasingly confident policy is well positioned. I am encouraged by the early signs of moderating economic activity in the fourth quarter based on the data in hand. Inflation is still too high, and it is too early to say whether the slowing we are seeing will be sustained. But I am increasingly confident that policy is currently well-positioned to slow the economy and get inflation back to 2%. On the other side, Fed Governor Michelle Bowman reiterated that she thinks rates may still need to go higher. She said this in prepared remarks in Salt Lake City. Bowman has been one of the policymakers who has publicly indicated the Fed's job may not be done yet. Now, earlier in November, the Fed paused rate hikes for the second meeting in a row, keeping its benchmark lending rate unchanged at a range of five and a quarter to five and a half percent. The central bank meets again in two weeks' time, and investors are holding out hope the interest rate rise job might be done. You were talking about some significant pressure as uh, some of the Fed speak we heard yesterday, even from some of the more hawkish Fed speakers, uh, turned out to be pretty dovish. So uh, now the market is kind of betting that you could see not only rate cuts, but those rate cuts coming sooner rather than later. For one of the biggest markets in the world and most liquid markets in the world. and, and A lot of movement. Most important, <laughs> the move up above five was like, what the hell yeah. was that? Yeah. And it really shook people. And people tried to figure out what it was. They rattled the markets. Right. Yeah. Did Jay Powell really say longer for higher? Did, did he say it 
in a more convincing way, or was, or was it, it the we couldn't sell bonds? Or was it the bond vigilantes yeah, yeah. taking we couldn't over because sell of the high uh, debt that we have in this country? Yeah, and, um, and, all of a sudden. And the, the trouble selling it, which we're still having some trouble. But then the, the move back down just as fast and just as hard to understand. It did have a weak, weaker jobs number and some good uh, inflation numbers. Uh, Bill Ackman was talking to David Rubenstein, and he thinks that the Fed's going to have to cut rates sooner rather than later. Talked about how in his businesses they've seen some weakness. He's not the first person he, to say that. He's as, not, as but, but it is. A it, lot of people have talked about it. And yeah. we, we, when they said it first quarter of next year, it's like, are you sure? And, right, that's just And the dot plot, right. which had it, it's like, what? Because we don't all of a sudden see something which is not going to be great to get, a, to get us to cut in the first quarter. What does that say about uh, the economy? Well, it probably I, says that there's break. something scary that happens. Something breaks or, or that yeah. we slow down much more the, the, or that the lag of the higher rates really does have a really does bite uh, gradually, gradually and then suddenly. Disney CEO Bob Iger telling employees that he is looking to build again at the entertainment giant. During a town hall event yesterday, he said his three priorities for next year involve expanding theme parks, developing a full ESPN streaming service, and improving the studio business. Iger also downplayed speculation that Disney is planning to sell a number of key media assets. In those comments yesterday, he said that uh, building things is a lot more fun than trying to fix things. All that speculation about what was going to be sold were things that Iger put into the market himself when he spoke with David Faber back in July. We have a great brand, we've had a great business, and we want to stay in that business. That said, we're going to be open-minded there too, not necessarily about spinning ESPN off, but about looking for strategic partners that could either help us with distribution or content, but we want to stay in the sports business. Right. The, the, the network, and then Barry Diller came on here and said, yeah. you know, instead of trying to you know, just immediately embrace all this new stuff. You've got some valuable legacy assets. Why don't you try and fix those? They <clears throat> said, okay, we're only going after this streaming because it's the golden goose. Right. That goose already goosed. Netflix got it. So it's not, by the way, that it won't at some point be a profitable business, right. but it's not a business by definition. You, do you, you can't raise stop prices funding, that high. Stop but, funding the streaming stuff at the expense of the old stuff, is that? Well, by the way, fund both, though. Don't just simply say we're t putting all our great stuff in order to get subscribers, because that's that goose. Yeah. You've got a network, again, a network that is profitable, that has declining viewership. And why does it have Because you don't put any hit shows on you know, at least realize that they have potential. To, yeah. I forgot about Barry saying all Suddenly, yeah. it, it seems like people are thinking that probably a pretty good idea. You know, streaming, I know that's where we're headed, but, uh, you know, they're still digital nickels. They're not analog dollars. Right, right. And that, uh, that is the dilemma. Trying but to be in a lot of different windows. I look at network TV, though, and uh, man, I see them trying to introduce new shows and stuff. I have no interest in any of them on any network. Have you looked? And then, they, you know, one, one of the networks has like Yellowstone. Only on, on. It's like, yeah, I saw Yellowstone like two years ago. And, and they got a big Sunday night back-to-back -back Yellowstone. It's like, it was already on. Yeah, but that's also a reflection of the strike and trying to come up with new content. Like people don't, people haven't seen it. It is yeah. worth it. Is I watched great. it late. I watched it in I the last watched it a little year. late, but not this late. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not like, I know a lot of things that happen. Did yeah. I say any of them? 
No. Okay. <laughs> don't. There are still people who don't know some of these things. Well, it's, you know, it's their problem. Yeah. This news broke uh, late yesterday. Billionaire, wow, he looks evil there, doesn't he? Billionaire investor Mark Cuban is selling a majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks to Miriam Adelson and her family. A source told CNBC the Cuban is going to maintain a stake in the team and will still run basketball operations. Adelson is selling $2 billion worth of Las Vegas Sands stock, or about 10% uh, of her stake, in order to buy the team. Meantime, Cuban said on a recent podcast that he plans to leave ABC's Shark Tank after next season, uh, which would be uh, the show's 16th year. He publicly flirted uh, with an independent run for president in 2020, uh, but back in July appeared to rule out a run in 2024, uh, telling NBC News that my family would disown me. And I'm not running either. It's, it's a lot to... Uh... Yeah. Just my family would be mad too. That's why I'm not, um, because of my family. I mean, I probably could win, like him. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, what makes a beautiful mind? Academy Award-winning producer and best-selling author Brian Grazer says it's all about staying curious. Every two weeks, I meet somebody that's expert or renowned in anything other than what I do for a living. Could be science, medicine, politics, religion, technology, all art forms. That special conversation right after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Today, Hollywood mega producer Brian Grazer joins us. This interview originally aired Tuesday on our TV broadcast, but it's too good not to share here, too. This is Becky's mic. Straight up on Becky. Becky kicks things off. Our next guest is one of the most prolific and successful filmmakers in Hollywood. We want to welcome Academy Award-winning producer Brian Grazer. His film and television credits include A Beautiful Mind, Arrested Development, and Splash. So many, we can't even list them all here. <laughs> His latest film, Candy Cane Lane, premieres this Friday on Amazon Prime Video. And Brian, by the way, is also a best-selling author. His new book is out today. It's called A Curious Mind Expanded, The Secret to a Bigger Life. Brian, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Um, it's been a while since we've seen you. I, I see you in Sun Valley all the time. I'm, I'm delighted all the time to see you. Well, Brian, let's talk about curiosity, because you've talked in the past about how curiosity is your superpower. It's, it's how you've done what you've done in Hollywood. Maybe give people who aren't familiar with this concept an idea of how your curiosity led to one of your films. You can pick the one you want. I've, I've got a few in mind, but go ahead and tell me 
how curiosity <laughs> led to one of your favorite films. Of course. Okay, so what I do is every two weeks I meet somebody that's expert or renowned in anything other than what I do for a living. Could be science, medicine, politics, religion, technology, um, all art forms. So I do this once every two weeks and I've been doing it for 30 years. And I do everything possible to disrupt my comfort zone to meet your friend Warren Buffett or Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or hundreds of Nobel laureates. And speaking of hundreds of Nobel laureates, I ended up making a movie called A Beautiful Mind based on John Nash, um, who was also was, a, in fact, a Nobel laureate. So it's not always with the designed intention of making a movie or telling a story, but it's of the designed intention of expanding my life and expanding my emotional and uh, real life, in fact. Um, and by doing that, I gained insights into people and subjects that I wouldn't ordinarily know anything about. And I think it's given me a competitive advantage in Hollywood. It's given me a competitive advantage in life and in business. And I think it would do that for anybody else. And that's why I have this new a book coming out that is, um, as you point out, the expanded version of A Curious Mind and a face-to-face -face art of human connection. Brian, you, you get to open doors that most people don't. Um, people like former presidents will sit down with you, business leaders. Um, people, average people would not be able to get a hold of. But you started doing this uh, without being able to open all those doors. And I wonder for most people, how, how do they go about doing this? I, I think back to Backdraft, uh, the book you, you, or the film yeah. that you wrote about, um, that you produced about uh, uh, firefighters. And, and yeah. how that came about, too. Is this something that really works for everybody in everyday life? Well, Becky, that's a perfect example, because I knew I had no power in Hollywood or anywhere. And I would just write letters um, to I'd write letters to individuals. In this case, it was firemen um, at a fire uh, a fire station that was nearby saying I would just like to come in. I only want five minutes of, of your time. I like to see and understand what the brotherhood of firemen, what that is. And of course I got the response, yes, but often the answer is no, or will they push you off and you just have to keep on um, being persuasive and case building for usually for the assistant of the person you're trying to meet. In the case of backdraft, um, it was a little bit easier because there were firemen there nearby in my neighborhood. But eventually what I did is I learned a lot about the firemen and why they do what they do and the selfless nature of, of firemen and the unity of that brotherhood. And that turned into the movie Backdraft. There, there's been a lot written about the strikes in Hollywood, what this all means. I think the last time I talked to you about it uh, was right when things were kicking off. Um, the deal that's been struck or that we think is going to be eventually finalized, what, what, what does it mean for the studios? What does it mean for the actors and, and others involved in the production of movies? Well, I don't really know all of the details and the nuance of the negotiation. I just know that um, our company and many companies are covetous of artists, meaning we appreciate and I think the studios appreciate the absolutely the hard work that writers put in the 18 hours a day of loneliness and writing a script is can be very, very um, difficult. And it takes a tremendous amount of discipline and talent. And I think that um, the studios were always um, 
very appreciative of that. They know it's the essential ingredient is, is a, to have a script. And, um, and so they wanted a raise. And so therefore that, that was the circumstance of the writer's strike. The actor's strike, which went on uh, longer and was more perilous actually um, was tough. But again, it's the actors that, uh, that give of themselves and uh, risk themselves um, uh, emotionally and professionally all the time, every minute to either get the job. And then when they have the job, they're the ones that are on the camera. And so they were very appreciative of this new uh, contract, I'm sure. So we're all thrilled to go back to work. AI has been a big sticking point. It was for the actors. And in fact, something like 14% of the the votes in, in one of the actors, uh, 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 the National Board of the Screen Actors Guild uh, fell short because of the AI component in a lot of ways. AI means with, with this new part of it coming up that the existing actors will have to sign off and be paid for any of their images, digital images that are used. But I think younger actors are a little concerned that it, that it means that it'll be harder to break in, that those older, well-known actors will be the ones who get those roles and the coveted roles and will be able to be replicated all over the place. But it, it might be tougher for younger actors coming through. What would you say to those undiscovered actors at this point? Um. Well, look, there's been so many changes over the 30 years that I've been in show business. Uh, and when we always find a way to be resourceful and figure it out, um, that sounds very simple. Um, what I'd say to young actors is use your, <laughs> use your iPhone to communicate in that you should always record yourself, shoot, shoot short scenes, Know what your superpower is and always punctuate what that is. Um, but that's the best thing I could give you right now. Brian, we appreciate your time today and uh, appreciate you coming on to talk about the new book, too. Today is the first day for that. We hope to see you soon. It's a Curious Mind Expanded. Uh, Squawk Box will be right back. Thanks, Brian. Up next on Squawk Pod, remembering the one beautiful mind of Charlie Munger, who died just a month shy of his 100th birthday. How he built his legacy with our own Becky Quick, the journalist who spent hours interviewing him. A lot of what Charlie would do was think about the outcome you wanted and then do the inverse, right? Like inverse, inverse, start from the back, figure out what it is you want to get to, and then don't do stupid things. We'll be right back. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's longtime business partner and close friend, has died at the age of 99, just weeks shy of his 100th birthday. The longtime Berkshire Hathaway vice chairman was also a friend of Squawk Box. Over the many years that our own Becky Quick has covered Munger, Warren Buffett, and the whole Berkshire $800 billion conglomerate, she's asked Charlie about everything. 
his business philosophy, even his fishing goals. Munger was set to celebrate a century of life on January 1st. Ahead of that milestone, just two weeks ago, Becky traveled to his home in Los Angeles, and we conducted an interview for planned special coverage around his birthday. Becky started by asking this billionaire, born in 1924, if he has any regrets. Here's a clip. Is there anything left on your bucket list, anything you'd like to do? Well, that's an interesting question. I am so old and weak compared to what I was when I was 96 that I no longer want to catch a 200-pound tuna. It's just too goddamn much work. To get it in takes too much physical strength. So I don't know why I would have paid any amount to catch a 200-pound tuna when I was younger and never caught one. And now I... Given the opportunity, I would just decline going. I won't even go out after them. <laughs> there are things you give up with time. You're pretty active. You've got a busy social schedule. You're on Zoom. You have breakfasts and lunch. Well, Lunches I like it that way. Yeah. That's my idea of a proper old age for me. And I didn't plan it. It just happened. And, and when it happened, I welcomed it. I, I am very good at recognizing unfair advantages. And... I got unfair advantages in old age the way I got unfair advantages in non-old age. And when they came, I just grabbed them. Boom, boom, boom. The one grab I never made was for a third wife. (laughs) Too late. That was Charlie, again, just two weeks ago at his home in Los Angeles. Um, The wit and wisdom of Charlie Munger has been something we have talked about over the years. I just love what I just heard there. And give me, I will sign. Give me something to sign that says... I have noticed I'm so much weaker now than I was at 96. Will yeah. you, can I sign that on, onto that, please? That is amazing. You're that is amazing. Less. It is. Yeah. I'm so much weaker. You know, back when I was young, when I was 96. Yeah. That was his really regret over the last three, three and a half years is that he would no longer want to catch a 200-pound tuna. And, it, you know, it, it, getting old, it's very difficult to do it to do it gracefully but you know what it, it, it's the human condition and that great metaphysical poet that said ask not for whom the bell tolls because if you don't think you know I get stuff you know these cesspool that is Twitter you know old man this that and the other thing it's like really wait you just <laughs> give it give it some time my friend and it goes so much faster uh, as, as you do get older and you know, that's not for whom the bell tolls, because it tolls for thee eventually. And we can learn, I think, a lot from the way he, he handled things and the way he lived the, toward the end of his life. Charlie never complained about anything. I, I complain I think now. Physically, I, know, I think physically he must have had some discomfort, but mentally he was 100% there. That's, and that, that's um, different for everyone. So yeah. That's the, which is, we're still trying to figure that out, but, you know, all the different... Now we just call it dementia. We don't even know whether it's Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or, but to be that sharp at, I mean, we really should check out exactly what was going on there, what he did, some of his personal habits, genetics. I'm sure we can find Genetics, I think, plays a large role in this. We talked in this conversation from a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how he decided never to smoke, didn't want to pick that vice up. Other people were pushing it. He did drink from time to time and said at times he even drank to excess when he was younger. Okay, Um, check. I got that that going. (laughs) But he also talked about... um, 
how you stay away from the stupid things in life. So a lot of what Charlie would do was think about the outcome you wanted and then do the inverse, right? Like inverse, inverse, start from the back, figure out what it is you want to get to, and then don't do stupid things. And he preached a lot about that. Um, talked about some of the, sort of the biblical things that were, that were good too. Don't be envious of people. Um, don't be greedy. Um, all of those things, you know, he, he spoke pretty highly about that a couple of weeks ago too, just sort of the Talmudic version of what not to do and how that's pretty good rules for life too. Um, you, I don't know whether it's been quantified, but you can see people that are either very bitter or very unhappy, and it mm -hmm. seems like they get sick. They can even get horrific diseases. Whereas, I mean, I don't know if it's if it's scientifically provable with you know statistically significant results, but happier people and more positive people, definitely. I think definitely are healthier. And, and immune people who systems are, acti are stronger. Actively engaged mentally. You know, yep. Charlie was still um, very actively engaged mentally, thinking about business deals, thinking about the potential for things they could do. I think making trades, <laughs> you know, yeah. thinking about what he was planning on doing. Um, so very actively involved. And I think so that's a lesson you knew when they us. said, you know, do you want to come out and did they ask you or did you no, ask No, they, they didn't ask me. I, I, I had a a PR person actually reached out to me because there was a new book that's coming out. It's the, the Poor Charlie's Almanac, The Wit and Wisdom of Charlie Munger. There's a new edition of that that's coming out next week, December 5th. And so he was doing a little bit of publicity, not a lot, uh, but when given the chance to go talk to him, I called him up, he said, sure. He said, I'm not looking for publicity. I said, can I come out anyway? He said, sure. You, you know, and I sat down with him there, and this was something we were planning, some for the book next week, and then some for his 100th birthday we wanted to do, and a one-hour special. By the way, we are going to bring that one-hour special to you this week. Uh, it'll happen right here on Primetime on CNBC. Yeah. We're going to move up the details for that. Um, we have more details to come, and we'll talk more about this later this morning, too. Because you've been a lot of places and you got family, and, and I, when you said you were doing, you're going, you're going all the way out to LA for yeah. to see Charlie. That's that's where I'm not going to say it was luck, but but serendipity that that I mean, thank God you I'm, did I'm that. Very glad. The, 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 the hard work and being willing to uh, to do something, and it, it it really. Charlie was a special person, yeah. um, and you get the chance to spend. We actually spent three hours with them. We thought it was going to be a one-hour interview sat for three hours at his house um, talking to him. Yeah. And when you get the opportunity to talk to someone who is so wise and who has seen so much, it's Someone it's who's 99, you get the yeah. opportunity to talk to someone, yeah. even if it wasn't uh, yeah. Charlie. That, by the way, is a house that he designed 70 years ago and that he's lived in ever since. Um, he'd said a lot of times he wouldn't take $100 million to move across the street. Um, <laughs> right. well, <laughs> liked what he liked. Yeah, $100 million. Drop in the bucket, which is also pretty amazing. Yeah. We will bring you Becky Quick's full interview with Charlie Munger in a special podcast series. We had planned to release it around Munger's 100th birthday, but we'll get it in your feeds right here, right where you're listening now, by this weekend. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thanks, as always, for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. 
take your business further at tmobile.com/slash now. 